0: Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast It's July 20, 2020 and this is episode 712 Canon has started to take orders for the EOS R5 and a wealth of other gear and it will result in me changing more gear in such a short time space of time than ever before, so today I'm going to explain my strategy and expectations for the future. The EOS R5 was first announced around 6 months ago, when Canon uncharacteristically published a news release about the fact that they were developing this camera and a number of other lenses, including a new 100-500 RF lens. If you've been following my blog or podcast for the last few years, you'll already know that I'm all in on Canon's mirrorless camera range. But I'll step back a little further and explain what changed and why I have been so happy to make this shift, and then move on to why I'm really looking forward to the R5 and how my gear bag will completely transform over the next two months. I'll also talk about how I'm essentially doing this with virtually no additional expenditure, although that is mostly due to past investment, and not some magical formula that I've stumbled across. First, let's talk about why I'm all in with the Canon RF mirrorless system. You'll probably agree that Canon came late to the mirrorless camera market, and I have to tell you that around the time they released the Canon EOS 5DSR I was seriously considering jumping ship to Sony Sony have and continue to really push the boundaries with mirrorless and have probably been a big factor in finally forcing Canon to pull their thumbs out of their apertures The high resolution and image quality of the 5DSR was enough to keep me loyal though and since its release in the summer of 2015, I was in many ways totally happy with my gear and my decision to stay with Canon. I took great pleasure in blowing all of the myths about the 5DSR out of the water, using it handheld at low shutter speeds and high ISOs, and for most major genres including wildlife, which no one thought this camera was capable of. Even my friends at Canon told me that they weren't necessarily 100% happy with what I was publishing, because they didn't think that everyone could pull as much out of the 5DSR as I could, but for me, that just made me even happier to do what I was doing. When the EOS R was announced almost two years ago, I initially pretty much ignored it, mostly because I was in gear Nirvana. I was so happy with the gear that I owned, that I just didn't have my antenna out looking for anything other than a higher resolution 5DSR. But then I stumbled across a technical document about the RF mount, and after a few minutes looking at that, I realised that Canon had done what they needed to do to not only get into the mirrorless game, but to put a foundation in place to help them lead it. It was also obvious to me at that point that Canon weren't playing at this. they developed a mount that would take their camera system into a new era. The RF mount has more electronic contacts, helping them to do more with the lens, like the addition of the control ring, which I love having mapped to my ISO. But the biggest change was that the RF mount puts the back of the lens just 20mm from the sensor compared to 44mm with the EF mount because they need room for the mirror, the light coming out of the back of the lens has less distance to travel and therefore doesn't spread out as much, which of course leads to sharper images. Not to say that the images from my old EF lenses were bad in any way, but as i showed in my 5dsr and eosr print off post a 30 megapixel image from the eosr with the rf 24 to 105 mm lens can be printed larger than a 50 megapixel image with the ef 24 to 105 mm lens i also have a quick test shot to share later from the new RF 15-35mm to 35 millimeter f2.8 lens that absolutely blew me away with regards to edge sharpness on such a wide angle lens I saw Canon's future in that one document about the RF lens mount and it gave me enough confidence to sell one of my 5DSR bodies and replace it with my first EOS R at the end of 2018 On my Hokkaido landscape tour and workshop, I found the first problem with the EOS R that would hamper my photography a number of times over the course of the next year and that was the tendency for the electronic viewfinder to fog up if the camera got wet. It didn't seem to be a problem when it was really cold but in temperatures floating around freezing point, it was a pain. As I got stuck into faster paced shooting on my Japan winter wildlife tours in 2019, even with the settings adjusted to give me the best possible performance of the electronic viewfinder, I found that I was always looking at a stroboscopic view of the subject as I released the shutter in burst mode, and, although I got used to it after a day or so, it would occasionally cost me a few frames. These two issues were really the only issues though and I could work around them and was in general very happy with the EOS R So much so that I quickly replaced my second 5DSR with a second EOS R and sold my EF 24-105mm to lens and I also sold my EF 85mm f1.4 lens and replaced that with the RF 50mm f1.2 lens, which is absolutely stunning I was all in and confident that Canon were on the right track and then they announced that they will not be developing any new EF lenses to enable them to concentrate on the RF lineup. and I did a few mental fist bumps as this proved to me that my hunches had been spot on the RF mount is the future of Canon Canon's lens mounts over almost a century of camera manufacturing have mostly lasted around 10 years each until the EF mount which was released in 1987 and lasted over 30 years Although there will be no new EF lenses developed they'll still be manufactured for a while to support the current customers so the EF era isn't necessarily over But with the RF mount coming onto the scene in 2018, it makes me wonder if it's going to outrun the EF lineup. If it does, the RF mount will probably outlive me too. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing. So that's the background. Now let's talk about what's coming soon and my strategy to move pretty much all of my work over to RF glass and the new EOS R5, which will be hitting the streets in about a week's time. The biggest change that I've just executed, although I decided that this would be what I'd do in January this year, is I've just sold my 200-400mm lens with the built-in 1.4x extender. I love that lens, but I want to talk about the reasons for letting it go. First and foremost is that since Canon released the updated 100-400mm lens in the summer of 2016, I actually really only used the 200-400mm lens for the red crown cranes, owls and foxes on my Japan winter wildlife tours. Even for the rest of this tour I almost exclusively used the 100-400mm so we're talking around 4-5 to five days of use per year, and that really isn't enough to warrant keeping it. For my other wildlife work such as in Namibia, and all other trips I do, the 100-400mm was the longest lens that I took along. That is the main reason for letting it go, making up around 70% of the incentive, with around 29% of the remainder being financial. With the virus hitting my business pretty hard, I simply cannot afford to buy all of the new gear that is coming along without selling something, and I was able to get the equivalent of around $6,000 US for my 6.5 year old lens, and along with the money I got for one of my EOS R bodies, will pay for both the EOS R5 and the new 100-500mm lens Which is scheduled for release in September The other change which I made just last week Is that I have sold my EF11-24mm to 24 millimeter F4 lens Along with my Mark III 1.4x and 2x extenders And they came to around $15 more Than the amount I need to pick up the RF 15 to 35 mm f2.8 lens which has actually been on the market for around 6 months already i've been planning to make this change for a while but because i wasn't in a position to also sell the extenders i held off until now and if you're wondering what i'm going to do for extenders now well i actually had around $1600 worth of points from selling my second 5DSR body and that neatly covers the cost of the two RF mount extenders which are also being released in about a week's time With the 100-500mm to lens a couple of months out the extenders will have no lens to attach them to for a while but I'll report on how these work with the 100-500mm as soon as I get a chance to shoot with them in September. One relatively large disappointment with this combination is that the 100-500mm lens is restricted to a 300mm widest focal point when used with the new extenders. Looking at the design, it's obvious that the protruding elements of the extenders prevent the back element of the lens from moving to their full extent. So instead of a 200 to 1000mm lens with the 2x extender, we get a 600 to 1000mm lens. And with the 1.4x extender, we're looking at a 420 to 700mm lens. This does reduce the versatility of the lens when combined with the extenders. But this is, at this point, the first time that the shorter distance to the sensor has added a negative aspect to Canon's RF mount and mirrorless lineup. I'll live with it, and having the ability to shoot at up to a thousand millimetres with such a small system will be very welcome too. To round out all of my planned changes, I will actually sell the EF 100-400mm and my second EOS R body in September when the 100-500mm lens is released and expect that the money I get for those two items will get me pretty close to what I need to buy a second EOS R5. I really like shooting with two identical bodies. And I know for a fact that once I start shooting with the R5, taking my EOS R as a second body will really mean that unless the R5 broke, the second body would hardly get used. It's not that the EOS R is a bad camera, I really do like that camera, but I know how my mind works, and when there are benefits to be reaped from using something else, I generally go with that. I recall being in Iceland around 6 years ago with my 5D Mark III and a 1DX body, and I killed my 5D Mark III in the rain to prove a point, and I hated the fact that I had to drop down from 22 megapixels to 18 for a few days while my 5D came back to life. That was me worrying over just 4 megapixels, so I know that a drop of 15 megapixels from the R5 to the EOS R will be too great for my simple mind to handle. I can't say that I'm all smiles regarding these changes. I will miss the 200-400mm and 11-24mm lenses. These two lenses are absolutely amazing, and have been a pleasure to own. In the past, I've done entire posts as tributes to lenses that I've had to let go. I just opened Capture One Pro and started looking through my images from my 200-400mm, to 400 millimeter, hoping to find just one that I could share and say, this is my favourite. But that plan went out of the window in just a few minutes. I managed to whittle down a selection of 10 images though, so I'll drop those into an album on the website in case anyone is interested. As usual, if you want to see the images on the site, they'll be at mbp.ac/712 for this episode. I was reminded too as I looked through these images how liberating it was to switch from the 600mm f4 and 300mm f2.8 lenses to just one lens. And the zoom and built-in extender made it incredibly versatile. I also remember though that in the few years before Canon releasing the Mark II 100-400mm lens, I would routinely handhold the 200-400mm on the boat photographing the sea eagles. I also just recalled that I didn't tell you what that last 1% of my reason for selling the 200-400mm to 400mm lens was. Well, it was because, as wonderful as it was to have that one4 times extender built right into the lens, there were a number of times in fast-paced shooting when I'd lose shots through being indecisive about the timing of flipping that switch. Of course, having to take the lens off the camera to add an external extender takes much longer. But when it's fitted or not fitted, you generally run with it until the action stops. There's less to be indecisive about. I did the same exercise with images from my 11-24mm lens, and I actually found it harder to whittle down my initial selection of 41 images to just 10, but here again is an album of my favorite 10 images with this lens. I know I'm a big softy, but I enjoy looking back and taking a moment to pay tribute to the gear that has helped me to capture what I consider to be some of my best work. There will be times when I miss that 4mm that I'm losing by switching from the 11 to 24 to a 15 to 35mm lens. But I can't say I'll miss having to take the lens off my camera to put a piece of cut gelatin ND filter into the filter holder on the back of the 11-24mm to 24 millimeter lens and then try to get it back on the camera without moving the focus or zoom rings because with heavy filters, even by increasing the ISO I couldn't see to compose and focus with the filter attached. But otherwise... I'll certainly miss the 11-24mm lens. Having literally only shot a handful of images so far with the 15-35mm f2.8 LIS USM lens, I am not really in a position to do a full review, but I did want to share a few images in a first impression style update. The first thing that hit me as I took the 15-35mm to lens out of its box is that it's bigger than I'd anticipated but being an f2.8 lens and a sturdily built L lens I guess I should have expected that and it certainly isn't a problem. I'll lose 4mm on the wide end of the focal length zoom range and gain 11 on the long end and it will be nice to once again have a little overlap with my 24-105mm to lens, which makes it more versatile. Here is a photograph of the two lenses together, to give you an idea of their difference in size and shape. Note that the 15-35mm to lens is slightly closer to the camera, so that I could focus on the text of both lenses, and that might make, the 15-35mm looks slightly larger by comparison. At 840g though, the 15-35mm is a welcome 340g lighter than the 11-24mm lens, and dimensions wise, it's 20mm smaller in diameter and 5mm shorter in height. Before I boxed up the 11 to 24mm to send it to the shop that I bought the 15 to 35mm lens from in part exchange, I placed the 50mm lens on the table and from approximately the same distance shot a photo with each of the wide-angle lenses at its widest focal length. This may not be an apples to apples comparison, but with limited time I found the information that I was most concerned about and that was how much wider the 4mm gets me in practical use and how sharp the lenses are in comparison at the centre and near the edges. First here are the two images uncropped so that you can see the approximate difference between 11 and 15mm. You'll have to excuse my shadow on the left of the frame and that I didn't use a tripod As you can see, either side of the white background paper is more visible in the 11mm shot but it's not a huge amount On the blog you can click on the images to open them in the lightbox and then navigate back and forth with your mouse or arrow keys on your keyboard to compare the images Next, here is a crop of just the 50mm lens from the middle of the frame so that you can compare the sharpness of the two lenses. The 11-24mm lens is on the left and the image from the 15-35mm to 35mm lens is on the right. There's not a lot in it, but under close inspection you can see that the 15-35mm to 35mm lens is slightly sharper. In this final pair of crops though, all from the same image, we can compare the sharpness of the two lenses near the edge of the frame. On the left is the image from the 11 to 24 mm and the image shot with the 15 to 35 mm lens is on the right. I was blown away by how much sharper the 15 to 35 mm lens is close to its edge. Wide open at 15mm I thought for a moment that the lens in the edge of the image shot with the 11-24mm to 24 millimeter lens might be out of the depth of field but at 11mm focusing at around 60cm or 2 feet with an aperture of f 5.6 which is what I was using with my photographer's friend app set in pixel peeper mode which is the most punishing we still have almost 60 centimeters or 2 feet, of depth of field, so that's not the case. The 15-35mm lens is just amazing. I was never really unhappy with the sharpness of the 11-24mm lens at the edges, but that was before I saw what Canon could do with the RF mount and their mirrorless camera bodies. This, to me, is a revelation. This whole slew of new gear is a revelation in many ways. Over the last 6 years or so, Canon have enabled me to gradually shrink my kit down while continuously increasing the image quality of my work. I have of course yet to see what the Canon EOS R5 and the new 100-400mm lens are capable of. But I trust that Canon wouldn't release anything that is a smidgen less than stellar at this point, so I'm really just not worried about that. I will continue to report on my findings and hope that it helps those of you that reside with me in the Canon camp, or are thinking of jumping ship. We'll start to wrap this episode up there. If you are thinking of picking up any of this gear that we're seeing released in the coming months, and you found this post useful, please help to support my efforts by buying with our BNH Photo affiliate links that you'll find on the blog, and again that's at mbp.ac712. No lenses or cameras were injured or ill-treated during the making of this review, and no one paid me to do this, or gave me any of the gear that I talked about today. Thanks very much for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please share a link with your friends. Subscribe in iTunes or your favourite podcast programme to ensure uninterrupted delivery. If you have a moment to rate the podcast or leave us a review in iTunes, that helps to keep us relevant in the huge number of podcasts out there now. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn, and links to everything that I'm up to are at martinbaileyphotography.com. so do drop by and take a look. I'll be back next week with another episode but in the meantime you take care and have a great week whatever you're doing. Bye bye.